Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. All right, well, good morning once again. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, as we look at the subject which the author of Hebrews uses the phrase, drawing near. So we're going to look at the subject, drawing near, assembly required. I know over the years when sometimes I make purchases, whether it be like at a Walmart or a Home Depot, uh, sometimes I don't know if you've done this, but I'll look for the easy way out and I'll go to the clearance to save a little money, but also to maybe find something that's already assembled, a grill, a tool, or, or something like that. Because one of the things that you have to do if it comes in a box is what? It'll say on, that, on the sign, assembly is required. Well, I think God has something to say to us about assembly required when it comes to drawing near to Him. And, and this passage is really about that. As I studied uh, this book, Hebrews takes, the author takes from chapter 1 to right around chapter 10 to lay out a lot of doctrine. His main point being is that Jesus Christ is the once for all sacrifice for your sins and for mine. He says that several ways. He says Jesus is greater than Moses, meaning that Jesus is greater than the the law. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. Jesus is greater than the priest. He talks about the Old Testament priest, but that Jesus is the ultimate priest. He says that Jesus is greater than all the sacrifices. Time and time again in Hebrews, he says the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. He talks about Jesus as the priest in the order of Melchizedek, that character that shows up in Genesis who Abraham gave his tithe to. He's saying that Jesus is greater than all these things. In Hebrews chapter 10, we come to the so what. Well, okay, Jesus is great. Jesus is the sacrifice. Well, well, so what? What are we we getting at? Already we've read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. I want us to continue to read in this chapter, and I want to pick up in verse number 18. And from there we're going to read to verse 25. So follow along as I read aloud. He says, Where there is forgiveness of these, that is sins, there's no longer any offering for sin. He's talking about the fact that with Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, we don't, we, don't make, we don't have to make any more sacrifices. Just like the old song says, Jesus did what he paid it all. Verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I'm going to stop right there because I want to point something out. Verses 19 and 20, he hasn't even gotten to a verb yet. He hasn't even told us any action yet. That's all the preliminary. So let me talk about that preliminary for just a minute. Since we have what? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In other words, 
the world looks at sometimes how we interact with God or how we're right with God in a very wrong way. Here's what I mean. The world many times will say, well, if I'll just clean up my act, then I can come to God. Well, if I'll just quit doing A, B, and C, then I can come to God. Well, if I start doing this, 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 like a checklist, then I can come to God. But the author of Hebrews is making it very clear that that is not how it works. You and I, we know from Scripture, we cannot do enough good to come to God. In fact, in one place, the Bible says that our our righteousness, that is the best that we have to offer God, is what? It's like filthy rags. But this passage is saying, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, well, how can we enter the holy place? The holy place being the presence of God or or being right with God. How do we do that? By the blood of Jesus. He's making the point that you and I have direct access to God through Jesus. Jesus himself made the statement, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's starting his whole idea of drawing near by saying, you and I, we have confidence that we can go to God because of what Christ has done for us. What that means is that any person who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is you will be saved. Now, we have confidence to do what? To enter the holy place. By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. What is this curtain that he's talking about? Well, you can, you can flip there if you would like, but I want to turn, or I can read it to you. It's in Exodus chapter 26 to learn a little bit about this curtain. In the, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 26, it talks about this curtain that was part of the tabernacle. Let me read a little bit of it to you. It says in verse 33... You shall hang the veil, that is the the veil, the the curtain, from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony there within the veil. Here's Here's the key. And the veil shall separate you, separate for you, excuse me, the holy place from the most holy place. This veil served as a separation. In the Old Testament, the priest would go into that holy place once a year. The veil was a separation. It was a picture that no one can approach the most holy place without the shedding of blood. This veil shows up throughout the Old Testament, but then it shows up again in the Gospels. Do you remember that? Do you remember in Matthew? In Matthew, when Jesus hung on that cross and when he breathed his last and he died, the author, Matthew, tells us that the veil was torn in two. That wasn't a coincidence. I would have loved to have been there when that veil ripped in two. It was big. It was saying something. It was saying that now the veil is torn in two because Jesus himself is the one who tore the veil. Because of his sacrifice, we have access to God. Go back, in that, at our, go back to our original passage in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll stay there. He says, verse 20, he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so that now 
We don't need anybody else to get us direct access to God. We have a direct access ourselves through the Lord Jesus Christ. All that's his introduction. We haven't gotten to the outline yet. What he's trying to establish is he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, you have access to God through Jesus, and you can have confidence that you have it. And because of that, here's three exhortations he's going to give you. Here's three imperatives, if you will. Here's three sets of instructions that he, you're going to see, and they're all right in this passage, and I think I give them to you in your, in your bulletin. You can see the outline. But with that, let's read the rest of it. Verse 22. I'm going to point out as we read, but there's three verbs. There's three what I call let us moments where he says let us. So think of it like it's a lettuce salad, okay? Let us. He's going to say it three times. Now, now catch him. Verse 22. Let us draw near, there's the first imperative, with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, here's the next one. Let us hold fast. Well, hold fast what? The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, here's the third one. Let us consider how to stir up, now not stir up like stir the pot, that's a bad stir up. This is a good stir up. You ever heard the phrase, oh, he's stirring something up? Not a bad stir-up, a good stir-up. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to two things, love and good works. And then he says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. The old King James says, not forsaking the assembly, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we talk about this idea of drawing near, I want to share with you three ways we draw near that, that, that the author of Hebrews gives us. Number one, number one is very simple. It's meet together. Number one is meet together. And what I mean by that is we draw near in two ways. Under this idea of meet together, I want to point out two things. Number one, it's meeting with God. Okay. But number two, it's also meeting with one another. So first, when we talk about meeting together, we have to come to God through Jesus Christ. That's why we spent so much time on that introduction talking about this idea of the curtain and the curtain being torn and now we have access to God. He is saying <clears throat> through this concept of the veil that you and I have access to God. And the first thing that he's saying in, in this verse is draw near with a true heart. Why, with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. He's, he's not simply saying have a physical clean. He's saying have a spiritual cleanliness. And where does that come from? It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I, or anybody, can go to church time and time again and still not be right with God. It, it would be as if saying, I am a Chevrolet. Why? Because at night I sit in a garage. I'm a Chevrolet. Every night I go to my garage and I sit there. I open the garage door and I walk out. It doesn't make me a Chevrolet. Going to church doesn't make, me, make you a Christian any more than me. Hanging out in my garage makes me a Christian. Because this concept of meeting together, the first thing I want you to understand is it has to do with having a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that at some point in our lives we've said, God, I'm a sinner and I know that you died on the cross to save me and rose again and I am placing my faith in you. He talks about this idea of having sincerity, a pure heart. 
faith in Christ. This was something that happened regularly with them. Meeting together. So first, when we talk about meeting together, we have to have a right relationship with God. But also this meeting together has to do with one another too. Because as we just read in verse 25, he says, Don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I want to go to this another passage of Scripture, and we'll take some time to turn there. And that is in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at it a couple of times uh, this morning. But I want to turn there right now. Acts chapter 2. The reason I'm turning here is because the book of Acts is the story of the early church. This is Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is like Luke part 2 where he says, Okay, now I'm going to share about what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. How the church spread throughout the world. And as he writes his book... What he does throughout is he will give summaries of what's going on with the church. And he'll share little summary statements about what's happening. This is the first one that he gives. And I want you to look at verse number 42 in Acts 2, or I'll read it to you. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What I want you to see is they devoted themselves... To meeting together. They didn't, they were devoted to God, but the outworking of them being devoted to God was that they met together. So the first thing we have to do is we draw near with a true conscience, having faith in the Lord Jesus, but also an outworking of that would be to meet together. Now, number two. The second thing is we hold to true faith. We hold to true faith. Now let's go back and look one more time. He says in verse 22, draw near with full faith. But look at verse 23. He says, hold fast, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast the confession. He's talking about what he's saying is that because of Jesus, he's encouraging God's people to persevere, uh, to, to hang in there. And that, and, that, and that nothing circumstantially should change anything about our, our holding fast uh, to the faith. If you recall, the first temptation that was recorded and the first sin that we have recorded was in Genesis, of course, Adam and Eve, where Satan made this little statement that is still one of the deadliest statements, I think, that, that plagues our world today. You talk about a pandemic we have a pandemic of this whole concept spiritually where Satan said, did God really say, did God really say you'll eat of that, you can't eat of that tree or you'll die? Did God really say that? Have you ever thought about it this way? When you and I sin, we're essentially saying, God, I know better than you. I know your standard. I know what you have to say. And many of you, maybe you're like me, you, you, you know some things about the Bible, you're, you're versed enough to, to know, you know, I don't have to tell you what the Ten Commandments are. You, you pretty much know them. I don't have to tell you what God's requirements are. But, but when we sin, we're kind of saying, God, did you really say, did you really say this? Did you really say that? The author of Hebrews is saying, I need you to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 
The world needs people who are going to hold fast the truth of Scripture without wavering. We, we live in a world where it seems like it's not very popular to hold fast to the Word without wavering. I encourage you, any way that you can, hold fast to the Word without wavering. This was true of the early church. I'm going to give it to you one more time in Acts chapter 2. Listen to what he said in Acts chapter 2 when, when he was given a summary of what the early church was doing. In verse 46, he says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. They devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to the word. They were serious about holding fast to their faith. I hope you and I find time to be serious about holding fast to our faith. I'll share something very practical with you of a way that you and I can do that all the time. As we talk about this passage, it talks about gathering together, right? Well, logically, that means when we meet for church, when we meet for a chapel service, when we meet with God's people to worship. There's some very practical things we could do. One, we could be very intentional in our times of worship. In other words, we, it's a participatory thing. In fact, traditionally, we call them what? Worship service, not worship spectator. It's, it's not the show. It's not, we'll come and, and, and watch the chaplain do his thing and watch the singers do the thing. What do we do every week? We pray. What's the implication of the prayer? We're praying corporately. Yeah, we might have one person praying out loud, but I hope and pray that in our hearts we're all praying. When we sing, how do we sing? We do a lot of corporate singing. Why? Because we're saying we're going to do this together. During the scripture reading, I encourage you to be active, to follow along. During the sermon, I encourage you, however you learn. Some people like to take notes. I put the outlines in the bulletin for those of you who like that sort of thing. But do something intentional so that you can be a part of what's going on. That's one way we can hold to true faith. Be intentional in our worship time to, to interact and to, be, and to be a part. Give as God leads us to give. God, God gives us that. That's a part of worship. I know my wife and I, we spend a lot of time thinking about what are the ways we can give to God's work. And I'll tell you, I've never, I've never given anything away and then missed it. Now, I've made some purchases I regretted, but I've never gave anything away to the Lord's work that I missed. Be intentional in holding fast. How's your scripture reading? How, how's your prayer life? Be intentional in those things so that we can hold fast in those areas. So number one, we meet together. Number two, we hold to true faith. But then number three, it's very simple. We help each other. This Christian life is, is not an individual thing. Sometimes in our American culture, we're very individualistic. You know, I can do what makes me happy. It's all about what I want. That's not what this passage says. Let's go back and look at it. Verse 24 is third, the third lettuce. Verse 24, let us consider, he says to do what? How to do what? Stir one another up to two things, love and good works. Don't miss the one another factor. As my heart is filled, as, as I'm drawing near to God, it doesn't end there. It's not good enough for me to go, well, I read my Bible. I'm doing good. I'm taking care of my family and I'm loving the Lord. Well, okay, well, what's next? Well, this passage says that next is now I need to turn my 
attentions to other people. Why? To go get them and show them how bad they are? No, that's not what it says. It uses words like, I encourage you. He talks about, he talks about encouraging one another in verse 25. So this is not a judgmental gotcha thing. This is an encouragement to one another. This is not the first time that the scriptures talk about us as God's people, the one another factor being very important. I want to turn a couple of places and, and show, you, show you a couple of things. I invite you, if you can, to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures that Paul uses that talks about this idea of how important we are with each other. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says this, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he uses this illustration. He says, the body consists of many members. What if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body? That wouldn't, would that make it any less part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. He's saying that every person is important. I want to, I want to show you another one. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to turn there and I'll give you a couple of more examples. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says it this way. Talking about salvation, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. And he says, members of the household of God. Let me explain what the Bible teaches about, about this concept of the household of God. In the Old Testament, when we talked about the temple and we talked about that veil, that was the tabernacle. God dwelt there. After King David and then his son Solomon became king, what did Solomon build? He built a temple. Who dwelt in that temple? God dwelt in that temple. Then God became flesh and literally dwelt among us through Jesus Christ as a human being. But Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And then in the book of Acts, what do we learn about? We learn about the Holy Spirit. Where is God dwelling today? God is dwelling in your heart and in mine. God is dwelling on this earth through the hearts and lives of his people. That's very important for us to understand because here's why. When I was growing up, maybe like some of you, I, I, we would say things like God's house. And I'm not saying don't say God's house. That's okay with me. I'm not saying don't say God's house. But when I was a kid... For whatever reason, my interpretation was that God sort of lived at that place. Like as a child, I literally thought that when I went to church, I was going to God's house. And I was, in a sense, because that was the gathering of God's people. But if we're not careful, what I really thought as a child was that God sort of lived there. And I sort of had this crazy picture in my mind of like, I wonder what God's doing. It's Tuesday. You know, we don't have any church activities today. Like, is he, is he sitting in the back watching TV? Is, is God just kind of going, well, it's uh, nine o'clock on Sunday. It looks like people are, I hope everybody starts to come. I'm glad it's not like that because I don't know about you, but I need God 24-7. God is not here or wherever it is we worship on a regular basis waiting for us to be there. Now, he's glad when we come together because the Bible says he is glad when he said, let us go to the house of the Lord. But I want you to understand this provoking one another to good works. It goes, it's partly meeting together, but it goes beyond that. God is calling you and I to live our lives with other people in mind. 
What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's the number two? Love each other. It's very simple, isn't it? It's vertical, it's horizontal. God is calling us to be a part of that household of faith, to be a part of his, of, of, of his family. We are family. And we're going to spend eternity together. And what God is calling us to do is to be together in love and in good works. And because of that, that's part of this concept of drawing near. This is saying, I need you, you need me. Loving one another enough to encourage one another, he says the last phrase, as we see the day drawing near. I don't know when the day of the Lord's return is going to be, but I do know it's closer than it's ever been. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know when I'm going to PCS at this point, because on paper I'm supposed to PCS about June, but some things may change with, with what's going on, and I may PCS later. I don't know about all those things. But you know what I do know? I do know that these instructions have not changed. And he is still, God is still encouraging you and encouraging me and in all these things to encourage one another. It might be that you run across somebody this week, especially with all this stressful uh, time, who doesn't know when they're going to move or they don't know when, when this is going to happen or that is going to happen. It might be time to express some love and some good works this week. It, it might be time for in the, in the midst of, of, of taking care of ourselves and doing those things we need to do for our own lives, it might be time to look to our left and look to our right and say, where's somebody I can encourage? Where's some more I can show God's love? Where's some more I can show uh, good works? Because we're part of this family together. I encourage you this week to do just that. Be loving, be kind, be right with God, and be a part of what God is doing all around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are part of your family through Jesus Christ. I pray for your people today. I pray that we would hear your word today, that we would obey your word, and that we would go from this place not discouraged or, 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 or hopeless, but full of hope because as your people, we have access to you through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we, as we... As we meet with you, as we hold faithfully to your word, we can be a blessing to others. God, that we could draw others to you and, and, and point others to you. I pray that you would be with us and may we spur one another to good works for your glory. May your love shine through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.